Hello there, this is Dr. Casey Bradley, and you're listening to the Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the real pork producers around the world. I hope you enjoy. Well, hello, Stephen. How are you today? Good, thanks. How's it, Casey? Good. Um, my friends in South Africa have been sharing pictures of summer with me, and I'm ultimately jealous, but I guess it's summer there for you. <laughs> It, it is summer. Um, we were just mentioning the the, the winter winds of, are, are starting to set in. So by July, we will be in the middle of winter. So we've got autumn autumn very much on its way now. You're not sitting by the pool, though, like our other counterparts in South Africa are. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. But, not yet. But, okay, soon. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself and the story of Urban Farmer? Yeah, with with pleasure. So I'm a young South African. Uh, my grandparents were were involved in farming many many years ago. So I I was exposed to farming from an early early stage. They farmed pigs um, here in South Africa, a mixed mixed farming operation. After finishing school, I I went off to one of our local universities and studied uh, animal science. I'm a chicken dietitian by training, so I went on and did my masters in poultry nutrition before joining a, a big multinational um, premix company, DSM Nutritional Products. And I think they're, they're known to many of us. And I was very fortunate working with DSM. I started out uh, servicing the, the sub-Saharan African territory as an account manager. So was really given a, an early exposure to the, the opportunity and potential that the African continent had to offer. I worked with DSM for six years before before setting out on my own. And I started a company, Urban Farmer, back in 2009. Um, and the, the business really was set up with, a, with the intention of better servicing the farmers in Africa than, than I felt we were capable to do within the constraints of a big multinational. So I think there were a lot of, a lot of good customers that I felt um, given the, the freedom of working working for myself and offering a, a slightly more comprehensive product and service offering, we could, we could serve them better. So Urban, Urban Farmer started in 2009. The name Urban Farmer is a, can be a little bit misleading, but it... Uh, because you're not growing vertical uh, rows of vegetables, right? Uh, and, and we do get the inquiries, people wanting to know whether we can grow lettuce on rooftops. The name came from me, an, an aspiring farmer trapped within the urban jungle of, of Johannesburg. Um, so it was a, I always say it was like a tattoo. It, it was a very good idea at the time, but I've spent the next 12 years sort of explaining my, my way around it. It's a name and a, and a business that's grown from there. And, and I think today it's got quite a lot of traction in the African market as a business that, that is really out there to, to support the customer. And we really pride ourselves on the, the level of service that we can we can. Well, if the audience really wants to know what Casey thinks of Urban Farmer, I find it very inspirational uh, because that means you can come back to your roots. You can, yeah. you don't have to be born on a farm to be a pork producer, and and vice versa. If you're on a farm and you don't want to be a pork producer, you know you don't have to. And so, to me, it's a very inspiring message and story. Yeah. So. It's a good tattoo, as I said, <laughs> to live with. <laughs> I wear it proudly. I, I yeah, tend to. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So, no, and, and that's pretty much where we started, Casey. I mean, it was a one-man show back back then. The Urban Pharma is ostensibly a nutrition company. So at our at our core is nutrition. And what we what we tend to do is um, work with customers and, and they they range from small scale farmers all the way through to commercial feed companies throughout Africa. And I'd say the first thing that we do is we help them design the right feeds for the markets that they're operating in. So it 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 really is to to hopefully introduce our perspective and our experience and help them design the right types of feeds for the markets and the, the, the audience or the customers that they're trying to, to support. And again, that can range from a, a small-scale subsistence farmer all the way through to a commercial, commercial integration. We put a lot of um, emphasis on the raw materials available in the different markets. I think that's a big, a big part of successful livestock production is I mean, we, we understand what the cost of feed is in any type of livestock farming operation. So utilizing what's available is 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 very important. And I'd like to believe we introduce the technologies and products that the, the best businesses in the world have at their disposal, and we make them available to our customers through a what we call a macro solution, which is, it's not a completely novel idea, but it's this idea of a a macro premix or a maxi pack. And we we would design those in response to the, the feed formulation. And then we work with a number of big uh, premix manufacturers in South Africa to actually make these, these macro packs, which we distribute throughout Africa. More recently, we've seen the importance of being present in the market. So we've, we've set up subsidiaries now in Zambia, Kenya, and Nigeria. These businesses are staffed with local professionals in those markets. They're able to carry stock in the countries and they're able to give the, the vital technical support that goes hand in hand with the, with the actual product in terms of sort of delivering a, a complete macro solution. So a good product on its own is not going to necessarily deliver success at the end of the day. Yeah. So since I've started the Sunswine Group, very similar story, I think, of why we both decided to jump in the, in the world um, of corporate America. But the outreach between my different programs, the Real P3 and then Coffee and Careers and Animal Science, I've had so many African students and producers reach out to me. What is stopping pork production or even poultry production, modern day agriculture from thriving in Africa? What are the challenges these producers are facing? The challenges are numerous and they're, and they're different. And I think this is something that I've had to come, come to terms with is that we sit at the southernmost end of Africa and we trade into 20, 22 different countries. And each of those different markets would have its own, own unique challenges. So I think it's perhaps one of the first mistakes we make is to, is to sort of look at Africa and, and treat it with a sort of blanket approach as to what those challenges might be. But so it's not like main... an EU solution. Or <laughs> I'd say no, we, the US we, is the same way. We have our challenges depending on where we live, but yeah. yeah. But, I, but I, again, whether it's the EU, the United States or the, the African Union, I, I think there's certain things that are certainly common across the different mm. countries. Room input availability and costs has to rank up there as one of the highest challenges. The cost of, of maize and, and, and your protein sources is often, is often sort of 
astronomical compared to what you and I might be used to in in the states or, or elsewhere. And I think that that is that is often a big a big challenge. Um, is the land just not right to grow your own crops? Or I mean, because that's another challenge to integrate all that. But is is no, there? I, think, I mean, there's plenty of land in Africa, but is it suited for crops? It's absolutely suited. Um, so I mean, uh, certainly large parts of Africa um, are are very well suited to producing crops, and it's just the I think we we go to much more deep deep seated challenges in terms of uh, governance and 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 the, the rest and and political stability. If you want to look at that, it still surprises me that so much of the the crop production on the continent is done by small scale farmers. And, and now I'm talking about individuals with less than a hectare of land that they're planting. And with that, I mean, you, you're looking at poor, poor quality inputs from a, a fertilizer perspective, fertilizer perspective, very poor yields at the end of the day. So I'm guessing, but anywhere one to two tons per metric tons per hectare that they might yield on a off a hectare. Um, very, very high levels of post-harvest wastage because there's not adequate storage. So there's just, apart from not planting enough, that that which is planted is is very poorly managed because there's not infrastructure, there's not inputs um, available, and and it's changing. And some some markets are changing faster than others. I think a focus there is really going to untap a huge amount of potential for the continent in terms of production. If we can produce maize. At one hundred and fifty dollars a ton, as opposed to three hundred and fifty, what game changer, right? Turn it on its head completely. And do you um, think that that turns the head on investment by China? I mean, I hear talk of China wanting to come to Africa and raising pigs and, and things. So, is the crops needed before the pigs, or is is there ability for somebody like large corporations to invest and make money in Africa? I think there absolutely is opportunity, and I I see. From a cropping perspective, there are there's now very big commercial corporate farming enterprises operating on the continent. There are very positive initiatives to to try and encourage the, the sort of efficient production amongst the smallholder farming community and the storage of those crops. And the investment is coming from all different quarters. I mean, whether it's from the Middle East, whether it's from China, I. I mean, and again, Brazil, um, India. There's a lot of investment on the continent. South African corporates moving moving north and investing. So there's there's plenty happening in that in that sphere. And as I said, the 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 initiative to get to to better improve the yields of the small scale farmer and and arrange manage the storage of those crops is there. So that addresses one one of the challenges. I mean, the next one would be just the I'd say the the poor demand for pork on the continent, and with that, I mean it's to a large degree you can put that down to the poor purchasing power of the vast majority of the population. They just don't have the disposable income to buy animal protein, whether it's chicken, fish, or, or pork. Um, and that's kept the the total demand in any one market has kept the sort of production down. And if you don't have demand and, and sort of production, 
then you don't have the expertise, you don't have the skills, you don't have the support services, um, don't have the genetics. So slowly as the as the purchasing power of the African, the general sort of African population increases, then I think the demand will increase and the the sort of uh, commercialization of production will, will start to, to get traction. And with that, I think you should see a lot of progress because what we see is you'll go into any, any African country and you might find pockets of commercial production. There's not the sort of local product and, and, and technical support for the small-scale farmer coming, trying to get into to pork production. So it's, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, I was on a call. I'm not going to mention names or where, but it was for Southeast Asia. And, you know, somebody made a comment to me that they don't like Americans coming in and telling them how to raise pork because we don't understand how to raise pork the way they do or, you know, their challenges. And I was just mind blown by that because they're talking to somebody who's raised pigs outdoors on dirt. And, you know, went to confinement and I can tell you I've managed pigs in just about any environment. And the the questions I'm getting and, and the information wanted is knowledge. With all these virtual options, why can't we get the knowledge out to these producers? So so knowledge is critical. And and I think what what you find, and, and maybe this is a, a global sort of phenomenon, is that the young people are the ones who are thirsting for knowledge. The ones who are still in farming are, are quite often the older generation, and, and they, they're the ones who are fairly set in their ways. There's a change there, and, and the, the youngsters, I am generalizing when I say this, but they want the easy way out. And, and I think to strike a balance there between doing the hard work that the, the older generation are, are doing and 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 inviting and encouraging the, the younger generation who are seeking out better practices. But I think it's just about a balancing act. And I hear you when you say that we should be able to introduce knowledge and, and experience into farming pork in Africa. I think what we, what we just have to do is do it in a, in a measured way. And I think even coming from South Africa, we have a different way of doing it. South African pork production is far more commercialized it's done on a far larger scale it's done it's done differently to to much of the rest of africa and i think our our job as urban farmer but our, our, our sort of collective responsibility as people resp- wanting to see pork succeed on the continent is about having a good understanding of where are they at and what's the appropriate technologies and things to introduce that we can slowly bring it about to something that's more efficient and yes, I agree with you, whether it's a, a forum like sort of the webinars or sort of any digital mobile platform, it is one, one way to have the reach that is needed to really get the, the knowledge out there. But I mean, I still agree. You need boots on the ground too. And, you know, a lot of things I see missing, A, grain storage, proper feed mills, genetics, biosecurity. Biosecurity is critical. I mean, and this is one of the challenges with Africa, I mean, African swine fever is African swine fever for a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's still there. 
And the challenge for any small-scale farmer is to have adequate biosecurity around their operation. And, and it's almost impossible because they farmed by families, they farmed in communities. Very often animals are free-ranging. And, 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 and so the idea and this, the full appreciation for what biosecurity is, how essential it is in terms of managing and protecting your investment against African swine fever is not, is not fully comprehended. So, I mean, many people will see their whole operation go bust regularly as they sort of encounter the disease and, and then repopulate and start again. But they keep making the same mistakes. And so is it a lack of knowledge transfer? Is it a lack of physical facilities? I mean, because to stop it globally, we need to stop it everywhere. And so because if we keep it on the African continent, we keep it in Asia, it's just going to eventually be around the entire world. And so how can we get some of these biosecurity things under control in countries where the government's, I guess, not as strong in helping producers? Yeah, and that's the challenge with small-scale production. So, I mean, I, I think you've got to look at anything like good biosecurity. It becomes easier when you have scale. Yeah. Um, when you do it on a small scale, it, it's, it's a challenge. And I think this is something, and I don't know how we're going to overcome it, because because of the lack of demand and the unsophisticated demand in Africa for pork, an individual who's, who's keeping five or ten sows and, and maybe in a year producing 30 or 40 piglets, he's able to sell that pig and that pork ultimately for the same price as his neighbor who's invested in a commercial piggery and has to carry all that infrastructure cost, the cost of feeding properly. And, and the other individual, um, the small-scale farmer, is, is literally allowing their, their pigs to free-range and eat next to nothing. So provided he can keep them alive for 12 months, he's going to have something that he can market at 55 kilograms. And he's going to be paid the same price as the individual who's made that investment, who's fed those animals. And until there is a, a market demand for a, a more premium quality pork. That balance is always going to, to, to make things a, a challenge in terms of encouraging people to make the investment in, in good infrastructure. And I wouldn't even go so far as saying high health sort of hurts, but good genetics and, and healthy animals. There's a bit of water to go under the bridge before we're at that point. We would like to take this break to thank our sponsors, the Sunswine Group. Nutrisign, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. Without their support, this adventure would not be possible. So now back to our episode. From the standpoint of options for producers in Africa around nutrition, do you guys have as many regulations as the EU and the U.S. when it comes to antibiotics? When it comes to, you know, different feed additives and things, is it easier to formulate for the producer i don't know that it's easier to formulate um but i mean one of the one of the big challenges in terms of formulating on the continent is a is a shortage of available raw materials and maybe this is where we're we're more similar to the to the states than we are to europe i mean we, we we're also typically a maize soya based diet in terms of the use of antibiotics and 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 other sort of feed additives I would say that regulation is is very is much less um, strict 
Well, no, it's it's much less enforced. It's not to say it's not less strict. Many African countries will will sort of base their legislation on what's happening in the rest of the world. I mean, the more progressive markets will be following some of the more progressive industries in Europe, often to their detriment. It penalizes the call it the law-abiding producer who who won't use antibiotics. And and the, the black market in these types of things is absolutely rife. It's not to say it's it's easier. Do we need antibiotic growth promotants and, and the like in our feeds? I think our production environments are fairly rough for the most part. Mm-hmm. So disease is a big a big challenge. Environment is a big challenge. So so yes, I, th- I think it's 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 not easy to farm here. That the, the environment is certainly not as clean as in other places. I think we probably get away with managing with much lower lower stocking densities. Um, we're not having to close up barns. Every a lot of what we do is very open, mm-hmm. just because the temperature allows for that. So I suppose that's got some some benefits in terms of the respiratory type challenges that you might find up in a closed up. European or American setup, but yeah, it's 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 okay. And I, I'd say if you were stuck in in any African country, um, needing to to formulate, you do have access to the the products and the the technologies that the rest of the world have access to. And I, now I'm talking from a an enzyme perspective and, a, and all the other sort of synthetic amino acids and the rest. You you do have them available to you. Often very expensive, and depending on the the supply but, chain, there's, there's every chance that there's been sort of adulteration or or, or sort of misrepresentation yeah. in the process as well. So, I was going to say, looking at grain quality in South Africa, though, you say it's expensive, but it's re- it also has that reward financially. The grain quality, because well, using enzymes, it. I mean. Yeah. You can afford to probably pay a little bit more because you have lower quality grains usually coming in from what I've yeah. seen in, in the survey work I've done in the past and read. And no, and, and absolutely. And I mean, I think maybe more so in pigs than in other lives. I mean, you really want the opportunity to, to utilize available byproducts as well, whether yeah. that's from the brewing industry or the milling industry or, or and, and certainly enzyme technology offers that. I think what we've seen is you you do need to dress it up in the form of a macro type solution where those those enzymes and those formulations are provided together. And then you're always going to come up against the farmer who brings out his notebook and says, this is how he's done it for the last 35 years. And, and Well, of course. I would still argue with some American farmers that want to go to that two to three pound uh, VTM <laughs> that, you know, there's a reason why I was using 25 to 50 pounds, right? Yeah. And we overlook that even in modern, more modern systems. So because we're always trying to pinch money, I think you're right is getting the balance, as you said, with the macros to utilize feed additives effectively. And I, I think we've also got to just recognize that the economics of pork production on the continent are different to perhaps what we know at home. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I don't say we've got it right every time, but I think you have to approach each, each individual market with the an open mind that producing pigs in that environment might require a different approach to what we what we see as traditional the size of the slaughter pig that you're aiming for the time the, the grow out that you're you're targeting feed conversion that you're prepared to 
to accept or not accept. I think a lot of these things do need to be challenged with, uh, with experience and open-mindedness and, and come away with what is perhaps a, a foreign solution to us, but one that's going to be the best for the producer at the end of the day. No, I, I agree. I was, um, you know, talking to a Nigerian farmer asking me about, you know, us, how, how long does it take you to raise a pig, this or that? And he was just like, Oh my gosh, can I do that? What was it going to take for me to do that? And I'm like, baby steps. Right. And in certain conditions, we can't match us or European production, but I also hear producers yeah. <laughs> working with our, you know, our, our partners that are matching it, if not doing better. So there is that balance, like you said, of really good producers in Africa and still the ones yet that are just learning how to scale up in the trade, I guess. Yeah. And I think we're, we're fortunate and, and that we work across that spectrum. Mm-hmm. We also have experience beyond Africa doesn't just fit in the middle in t- geographically. I mean, we we look to to what's happening in in the likes of the Philippines and China and Canada, and I think through our partners we've got that perspective that we can then bring to to our farmers, where we offer them something a little bit more and different to what the guys doing next door to them. That's probably one of the big challenges as well. Is that sort of. Um, until recently, the, the frame of reference that a lot of these guys farm with is limited to what's done next door. And if we can sort of throw that open a little bit for them, and it's not always to go the way of a, a much more sophisticated operation. I mean, you look at what, how pigs are farmed sometimes in, in Asia, and there's a lot, of, a lot we, can, we can take from that and adopt in our world. I mean, I think, Casey, one of the... Some of the exciting thing for, things for me working on the continent is that there is such scope for improvement that even small small things are going to have very very impactful consequences for the the farmer. I mean, we you'll go into a farm and you'll see them weaning piglets at fifty six days and older, and you know what you can do to help them mm-hmm. in terms of of reducing that. Generally, it's about very often it's about just introducing those right, the, the, the correct feed post-weaning. They don't have those feeds because they're perceived as expensive. So they keep the little piglets on the mom as long as they can because their grower feeds that they would that are available in the market are, are inadequate to, to support the piglets. So introduce a diet, and sometimes it's, it's about changing an industry's view on, on what's acceptable. I mean, if I can tell you, many industries with with sort of three or four diets and and it's a dry sow and lactate in a grower and a finisher and if i told you those were the three diets that you had to feed pigs with i don't know where you would put them to be honest um, no, I because know, but i face that here too so a lot of people think when they see the us oh it's so industrialized it's big we have a lot of niche producers that get and smaller producers that still get ignored right the states have stopped their extension programs or reduced them. There's a few states that still have good extension programs out there. And then we look at a lot of the research, it's all for the larger scale operations. And, you know, I think we need to go back and look at niche, smaller production, because not only would we in the U.S. could benefit our producers here. And because I really think in another five to 10 years, you're going to have two sets of producers in the U.S., the large integrated systems and then niche producers. And they're going to have to be something different, but things that we can learn, things that, you know, 
people like my dad, he could probably go to Africa and change the whole industry just by going to a few farms, you know, and then we need to have some of that mindset that comes back and, and not ignore what we've learned in the past to help people yeah. today. That's perhaps one of the greatest challenges. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, you, you take a, an experienced stockman like you, what your dad would be and you put him on any farm here and he's going to add value. The problem is flying him across from the States to see a, a pig farm with five pigs. And, and I know. And I think, I think what, we, what we grapple with is, is how do you make something commercially sustainable as well? And, and it, it is about sort of then looking at how you can aggregate and consolidate these farmers into groups that you can, you can bring the expertise and your reach is that much wider. But it's not to say that I mean, I'm, I'm speaking more specifically to the small-scale farmer than the, the pockets of commercial farming. It's not to say that they don't want to know. And if I look at the, the sort of Facebook groups and the, the like that, I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about tens of thousands of farmers on these groups with a, an interest and a thirst for, for doing things better. And I think that, that, for me, is the most encouraging thing about what we do is that we, we don't have all the answers, but the... the we have a call it potential customer base, but a, but we've got willing willing customers who, who just want to be assisted right. And I think we we still just grappling with how to do it. But I think if we when we get that right, uh, Africa is going to be a different looking place in terms of pork production. Oh, I agree. So, so it's just learning to change, right? And maybe that's going backwards sometimes. What I've also seen is, and it's it's the value of investing in uh, in people who are prepared to do it right with you. So you, if you thought that you could change everything in Africa overnight by yourself, the prospect would be too daunting. But I mean, I think what we've seen over the last years is that you just find a couple of people who do it right and, and, and invest your effort in them. Right. And their, their communities see it. And, and, and it's, it's wonderful to see how, how that sort of, that it, knowledge and experience and, and will then spread so, it's my mindset. So I'm not after the tidal wave. I'm after the ripples. And so how can we start some ripples that are going to turn into the tidal wave? Yeah. And, and, and if you stood there thinking. Urban farmer, farmer is doing that. And I I commend you guys. So, Well, thank you. I mean, it, and it's, yeah, sometimes I have to remind myself that we've been doing it for 12 years. So it's, it's, yeah. it, hasn't been, it hasn't been easy. And I think for us personally as a business, if we hadn't, if we hadn't done it across species and across territories, we wouldn't have survived. I, I think I think we've benefited that we we do work in different sectors. I mean, from the poultry sector to the, the sort of aquaculture and beef and dairy. I I think the idea that pork would sustain you in any one market completely would have been a bit a bit early in, in to do that. But we we really now see, um, and and I want to say specifically on the pig side getting traction in markets as being the market leaders in pig nutrition. Again, it, it, it is the neglected species on the continent. It's, it's, it's very often seen as the, the, the rubbish bin. On the, I mean, it's not to say that there's not lots of pigs. I was in Uganda not so long ago, and, and I mean, their sow herd is probably four or five times what South Africa's is. So um, just in terms of number of sows and but their output is probably two-thirds of what ours are, so in terms of pork production. So the inefficiency that exists there between large numbers of pigs, but pigs that just might be giving you eight to ten piglets per year, 
And again, I mean, not that South Africa is, well, I, I think we, pro- we probably are a sophisticated pork producing market. I mean, our, our farmers here could probably produce as well as anywhere in, in the world. I mean, uh, I think they we are. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers, so. Yeah. And so we can get 30 or, or piglets of a sow per year. I mean, and, and I think it's that big difference that, that slowly those those differences will be narrowed in the future. And not not wholesale, but, but certainly um, there are individuals who are more than capable of doing that on the continent many times over. Um, and it's just about about giving them the necessary products and support to to achieve that. Well, we're running out of time, and I'll give you a chance to turn the table. Is there anything you want to ask me or last-minute thoughts? I should have been prepared for this, but do you, Case, no, I, I'm, I'm interested, and I mean, you you obviously have a view on, on pork production on the continent, and perhaps from the interview today and, and what you've sort of learned in, in, in recent sort of times, is the African um, continent where you thought it was from a pork production perspective? Yes. I mean, there's a, a broad spectrum, right? And there's broad challenges. So, but yet with every challenge, there's opportunity, you know, how can I help? That's my goal. My goal has always been to feed the world. It's not to feed uh, Springdale, Arkansas, or yeah. the U.S. It's to feed the world, and so. And then, if I if I put the question to you, uh, what makes producing pork in Arkansas such a? I mean, what what makes them the lead one of the leading sort of territories in the world in terms of pork production? And, well, Arkansas. And are there any, anything common <laughs> that we might yeah. that we might leverage? Well, Arkansas is more of a poultry state, so I would just throw that out. But we do have sow population. So the region I live in, I'm going to call it the southwest portion of the U.S. pork production. And we have a lot of the sows. So Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas. So the biggest thing is we're isolated. And so we can put a lot of sows down here, hopefully try to maintain higher health and move the the pigs up to where the grains are. And I see that's really ultimately what I see Africa coming together and, you know, and it's even Southeast Asia, it's raising the sows and pigs where you can. So like those really good producers that's going to have the capital investment. And then can you move those wean pigs to somewhere where the grains are more affordable or available and then have more of a feed out. Maybe it's like a cattle feed out lot type operations versus traditional barns like we have. And, Maybe is that a solution or idea of keeping our sows where we got better management, better biosecurity to keep that herd healthy, and then finding a a group of producers maybe that could feed out those pigs instead. And and I think they were even some of the people I've talked to in in Southeast Asia trying to do the same thing as finding a group of producers that are good at something, either that's farrowing pigs or then the finishing pigs. And, And maybe that's a concept that could work, right? You have shareholders in the south in the sows, and they get so many pigs, they do better feeding it. But you know, you can get instead of trying to learn everything from conception to slaughter. And I, I hear that with some of the people I interview, they're they're trying to own that whole space, even having the butcher shop on their farms. And I see so many challenges from biosecurity, disease management, from that, and then food safety. In my opinion, from all that, there can we segregate 
and have good expertise in different segments, right? I would say that's one thing the U.S. and maybe even Europe could, you know, that concept could really help the producers. But then it goes to your question is how do you put that together? How do you get those groups of producers together to do that? No, and I think it's a, a very valid suggestion. And I, I think what what we also see is you need to you need to operate with um, production units where you can have the attention attention to detail and and, and the the what we could really do is in a in a structure like that you have owner managed grow up things where you've got the the necessary um, attention on on that unit that, that it's not somebody with five thousand pigs that they're growing out but that they can really invest the the time and, and effort on 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 a smaller focused group we will see the the yields coming out of those sort of grow out operations for sure. You've given me a lot of food for thought, and I think that maybe that wasn't the intention for the, the meeting, but I, I think we'll definitely take some of what was said today and, and see where it can find application. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we're here, sharing knowledge, supporting yeah. each other. I love the fact that I can talk to my friends in South Africa from Bloomy, Arkansas. But uh, <laughs> well, that, that wheel will turn as well. And, and yeah. yeah, no, I know. And then you'll want to be here. So. <laughs> But no, I really appreciate your time. Keep up the initiative and yep. send, uh, if you get a chance, like I tell everybody, hug a pig for me. So, <laughs> no, Casey, thank you. And, and yeah, we, well, we will certainly be giving you and the team feedback on how we, how we progress here. So thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the Sunswine Group, NutriSign, Swine Nutrition Management, and pig progress.